This episode is brought to you by McDonald's. Not sure you've heard of them. <laughs> Up and coming uh, little restaurant, but they're making it. They're the little engine that could. You know, the moment of bliss when you spot your fries being scooped into the carton and suddenly time slows down. I have that all the time. I love their fries. Oh, yeah. yes. McDonald's fries hit different when they're free. That's another thing I'll tell you. And when they belong to your friends, there's no better feeling than thinking you're out of fries and then you discover extra fries at the bottom of your bag or else my son still hasn't finished his fries yeah. and I'm done with mine. And uh, he used to be weaker than me so I could just take them. Yeah. Now I can't because he's stronger than me. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's no wrong way to eat McDonald's fries, but we all think our way is the best way. And I like stealing them from someone else. That's my favorite <laughs> way. Get your favorite McDonald's fries today. McDonald's, check them out sometime. They're everywhere. Noom uses the latest in proven behavioral science to empower people to take control of their health for good. Noom builds personal plans that can meet an individual's needs, takes into account dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs to build a plan that works for you. Through a combination of psychology, technology, and human coaching, their platform has helped millions of users meet their personal health and wellness goals. I think a lot of intelligence has gone into the whole Noom system. They really think about how humans live, how they think, what their psychology is, and it's all been used to help people control their weight. So stay focused on what's important to you with the Noom psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's Noom, N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen for 100 Healthy and Delicious Recipes to Promote Better Living, available to buy now wherever books are sold. I'm John Lithgow, and uh, well, I'm one subject who is already a friend of of Conan's, but only a really passing friend. Yeah. Although we go way, way back. We go way back. I think you were about uh, eight years old and writing for Saturday Night <laughs> yes, Live. Yes, yes. Yeah, I, I was a, a very nice little girl, and uh, I've been through a lot of changes since then. Hello, Conan O'Brien here, coming at you with great force and gusto. Uh, <laughs> wow. The old podcast, Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend, and uh, joined uh, by Sonam Obsession. Hello. And the trusty Matt Gorley. Hello. Recently back from paternity leave. That's right. I Finally. I know. Yeah. 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 It's, uh, you know, I didn't get much paternity leave, but it's okay. Uh, something tells me you you took yourself out of paternity leave. You like to work. <laughs> like You were probably granted That's partially it. true. And also uh, my wife, I think, said, <laughs> I'm happier- when you're not here, mm. please, your bits. <laughs> she had, she said, postpartum, your bits are not holding up. Yep. Yeah. I got Get out. my babies, you are excused <laughs> yeah, indefinitely. Exactly. Yeah. I'll see you at their graduation from military academy. <laughs> uh, I had a bit of an adventure yesterday. I've been uh, feeling more and more pain on the right side of my face oh. and head in general. And uh, for a while I thought, is this sinuses? Although I don't get sinus stuff. And then finally uh, I couldn't take it anymore. And I went to the dentist. I'm always slow to go to a dentist because I, for the obvious reasons, you know. Dentists, yeah, that it's, sucks. It's, yeah, exactly. Well, I don't, I think they do a great service to humanity. No, so. they don't. They suck. Yeah. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> so I, uh, I went in uh, to this dentist and they, they took a x-ray and then they saw that I had a big abscess Ooh. under my uh, rear right molar, uh, lower side, the lo the lower jaw. And they said, okay, you're gonna need a root canal. Ew. So they sent me to a root canal specialist who was absolutely fantastic. He was great, uh, did a great job. But the first thing he noticed when he looked at the x-ray was, oh, you've got very long tooth nerves. And at first I thought that's a compliment. Like you know, you've a guy, got a lot of nerve. <laughs> 
Well, no. You've got a lot yeah. of tooth nerve. You've got, you got a lot of tooth nerve, buddy. I just thought it meant, oh, this is an indication that I'm brave or sexual prowess. Uh, you, know? you know what I mean? What? Yeah. When no. someone says you've got extra of something, you're like, hey, high fives all around, right? A tooth nerve? And I, so I maybe took it too far. And when he said, you've got like, he said, wow, you've got long and deep tooth nerves. And I was like, yeah, long and deep, high five. Uh, and he was like, eh. Don't do that. Um, <laughs> uh, but anyway, because of that, you know, with the with the with that procedure, they got to go in all the way mm. and get that tooth nerve out. Yeah. And I apologize to any. I should have put a trigger warning at the top of this for anyone who's bothered by these things. But they basically had to go into some jawbone there. Ooh. And man, oh, uh, so they gave me some, uh, you know, Novocaine and everything. I didn't feel anything. It was a great procedure. And then I, I went home and last night. My wife and daughter are sitting there and they're watching Project Runway. And I don't realize it, but my my pain relief is wearing off. The Novocaine's wearing off, you know? Yeah. And he had given me a pain pill, but I just was like, I won't need that. And I put it in my backpack. So I'm sitting there and I'm watching Project Runway. I didn't even realize this, but my my wife and daughter were talking about it today. They were like, man, you were just so nasty during Project Runway. Oh my and it's because the pain in my jaw was elevating the whole time and I was holding the side of my head and watching Project Runway and anytime someone came out with an outfit, I'd go, that's not an outfit. <laughs> an outfit sucks. That looks like shit. And they were like, hey, could you tone it down? Oh my God. I'm like, it's all baggy. Uh, they rushed the hemline. What? What, what are you talking well, about? I like to think that you weren't angry because of the pain, but your sense of fashion was heightened because of the pain. <laughs> <laughs> You just really knew what you're talking. You know about. what it was? My resistance to fashion all resided in that molar nerve, <laughs> and when they removed it, I immediately. No, I was just. I think I could have been watching greatest movie in the history of the world, or my favorite movie, like Godfather one or two, and just been like, "This is stupid. Why would the mafia?" Ah! You know. I, you know what? You talked a while ago about you did a whole segment about how you had a pain in your mouth and it absolutely wasn't tooth pain. It was your sinuses. Well, I, so now is it, was it tooth pain all along? It was along? tooth pain. Oh, we did a whole segment I know. On and it. I, this is just, and I want this to be a public service announcement. <laughs> uh, no, in, in fairness, I did go at a cleaning and complain about my, my tooth pain and they did an x-ray, but they didn't see the abscess. Oh. And I think it's because it wasn't big enough yet. Uh, so what happened was then I went back. And so because I had gone the first time, I thought, well, it's not the tooth. Uh, and someone said, well, if it's not the tooth, it's the sinus. So then I went and got treated for the sinus thing, but didn't do anything. And then I was like, oh, okay, all right, this is the tooth. Uh, My motto is if you're in pain and think it's a tooth thing, wait. <laughs> That's Wait until it gets so bad that you have to get go back in. This is on your family crest? This, in Latin, <laughs> in Latin, it's on my family crest. All right, uh, but I'm feeling great now. Good. Uh, pain is gone and, uh, you know, a little Motrin, a little powerful, they gave me an extra powerful Motrin. Mm. That's I took good, that, that must I think, feel nice. And I feel really good right now, which means this is gonna be a great episode and I'm excited. Yeah. I'm drugged up and I'm ready to talk to you. And how is our fashion sense? <laughs> you know what? It's now I don't care anymore because okay. the, the pain is gone. Okay. So you're just a guy in a t-shirt and you're wearing a jean jacket. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Uh, I don't know. I don't like, what are you doing? Well, you're just always wearing a jean jacket. And it's it's just, comfortable. You wear a lot yeah. of jackets. Yeah. You're always wearing the same thing. Well, you, anyway, you that's know. okay. We, no. don't, we don't all have Conan money for more than one jacket. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know. Sona and I right. are working with one jacket. We share a jacket. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, no, I see what you guys make. Jacket. And clearly you can only afford one denim jacket <laughs> yes. each. Yeah. That's great. Uh, well, no, it looks like you were just released from Chino prison. Okay. Uh, but anyway, God. good luck to you. Yeah. Uh, I am your very tooth felt yeah. Better. The pain must be back. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's just me. Ew. <laughs> hey, I am very excited. My guest today is an actor who was starred in such shows as Third Rock from the Sun, Dexter, and the Netflix series The Crown. There's no way you can sum up this guy's career. I just read no. three credits of like ten thousand that are all brilliant. Anyway, he's won an Emmy for his portrayal of Winston Churchill. He's also a New York Times bestselling author, and his new book it's really terrific. It's called The Confederacy of Dumpties. Portraits of American Scoundrels in Verse, and it's available right now. And I think it's a great book for these times. John Lithgow, welcome. 
I wrote a sketch and it was one of the first things I did on Saturday Night Live. It was the first, I wrote it the first week, but we didn't have the right person to play it. And so they advised me, it did very well at read through. Uh -huh. They said, keep that in your back pocket until the right person comes along. And it was a sketch about a college professor who uh, teaches about uh, biology, specifically the bones of the human skeleton. And he's terrified of of his own skeleton. That's the sketch I wrote. <laughs> That's right. And so I, what happened was- I remember was, it Yes, now. and so what happens is I used to, as a writer, I used to act things out. I didn't write them out. I would mm. act them out. Uh -huh. So I, I acted out this professor saying, well, now of course the, uh, the uh, tibia, uh, begins with the thickest portion of the shaft, the you know slipial iomis uh, bone, which is a fortified calcification zone which can hold maximum impact for each step. It's located here at the and you turn and there's a skeleton. You go, oh god, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, oh, god. oh, oh skeleton. Oh. And then the the laugh was a that got a laugh, and then there was a reaction shot of the students going, what? But my favorite thing was then you would compose yourself and then you'd continue. And say <clears throat> anyway, the uh, this leads, uh, of course, to the fibia. Now, the fibia, of course, is a as you can see, has a thick collection of calcium here. The oh my god! <laughs> and you would get just as scared every time. <laughs> yes. And then you would dash out of the class and go and see the dean, who was played beautifully by. Uh, by Phil Hartman. And then he advised you to go with a tinier skeleton, a little rubber one, <laughs> yes. which startled you. Yes, right. And then you, that wasn't a good, and then he said, maybe you should, maybe you could dress up the skeleton. It was the stupidest thing. <laughs> and I remembered it sticking around. And every time a host would come, I'd say, no, this host isn't going to be able to do it. They're not going to be able to do it. They're not going to be able to do it. And I won't name names, but it was just a couple of weeks of that and me loving this sketch and maybe months. And then finally you showed up and I said, oh my God this is it, this is it. And so I resubmitted it and you did it perfectly. And everybody was dying laughing. And it was one of those sketch sketches that was so strange that they put it on at 12.55, I think. God, but they did, we did do it. We did we, do it. <laughs> God, I, I, I remember. I love how you can barely remember if we did or not. And to me, it is one of the five cornerstones of my career. <laughs> no, I mean, this is so exciting, yeah. Conan, because it comes back to me as you describe it. And I right. I remember it being very funny, yeah. but but I had totally forgotten it. But I, the, the one I remembered uh -huh. was the one that you co-wrote with a partner. Yeah, Greg Daniels. Yes, yeah. with Greg. Of all people, my God, I didn't realize it was Greg Daniels. Yes, Greg Daniels has gone on to great, great yep, things. Yep, he, he, the minute he shed me, Man, he went on to no, much bigger. I mean, just, just think that they wrote a sketch for me. The Conan and Greg, who are now on the Rushmore of comedy writers. Yes. Well, and you. it was cut. It, they they built the entire, uh, now I'm testing you and I won't your remember. memory. If it was cut, I usually had that uh, portion of my brain excised. Well, okay, I'm going to test you. I'm going to test okay. you. As you have just tested me and I failed. I, I did not remember something we actually did. Right. And I'm going to see if you remember something that we did not do, but was fully produced with a huge set. We rehearsed it and it was cut. Yeah. You have no memory of this? And well, you I, have to help me and, out. And I, I spoke- I had many things cut, so I- I, I, I spoke in a- You're saying, a, right you, now you're saying, Conan, you you had a failure once. Do you remember? And I'm like, John, no, be no. more specific. No, I remember my failures much more than my successes. And this is the perfect demonstration of that. Uh, I spoke with a New England accent, uh -huh. like a Vermont accent, uh -huh. and it was a it was a fruit stand, or a, it was it was a, it was a roadside fruit stand, and uh -huh. I had this terrible accent, and we were and it was had something to do with Pepperidge Farm cookies. Yes. Now is it coming back? It's to coming you? back to me. Pepperidge Farm. Because uh, it was like Milano cookies. Yes, and, yes, and yes. It was all about, I, I don't remember much about the sketch, but I remembered, and I'm going to credit this to Greg. He was, for a while, was obsessed with Pepperidge Farm. Yeah. And I remember him knowing John Lithgow is going to be able to do a Pepperidge Farm guy. And I'm like, yes. So <laughs> after that, I don't remember much, but oh, thank I'm... you, Greg, and uh, your, your sick uh, sugar dependency. <laughs> you know, it's amazing. The, those sketches that were cut, I, I, I hosted three times. And early on, there was a, there was a just fantastic sketch where I was, I was a priest taking the confession of a dog. <laughs> and, and that was, that was cut too. Yeah. I don't know why it was cut, but I came back like two times later 
and said, whatever happened to that great uh, th- that great confessional do- dog sketch? There is and a- we brought it back in and we shot it. And sure enough, it killed. Yeah, some things would get revived and they could come back. But most, I would say 99% of the time, a sketch cut at Sunnet Live yeah. would disappear into the ether. Now, now I think they can put them online. They can have this whole other life. And they shot them for the dress rehearsal? They, shot, they shoot them yes, for the dress rehearsal. Right. And it's not... In the old days, they'd shoot that on film and they'd have to destroy the film or copy over the the, uh, the videotape. But Nitrate. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> when I started, it was all wax cylinders. Yes. It's Edison's wax cylinder. Uh, but um, now those things, uh, you know, I think exist somewhere. But I, I remember taking part in sketches where they built, I mean, we wrote, I think, one sketch for Jeremy Irons where he was a guy who had crafted the perfect murder. It's him writing in his diary and he's just figured it out perfectly. And then immediately a servant comes in and sees what he's writing, goes, perfect murder. And then Jeremy Irons panics and hits him over the head and throws him out the window. And then everything goes wrong. His diary blows out the window and you can hear people down the street reading, perfect murder. Oh, look, he signed his name. And we it killed at rehearsal, just killed. And then we get it. They built the most elaborate, beautiful English mansion. Yeah. And it was going to be the premier sketch. Audience, nothing. Sure. Nothing. And it- it went away immediately. You had um, to wait for Lithgow. I, 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 I'm telling you. <laughs> you, you, you know, I said that. You learned nothing. You learned nothing. I said that. I said that to Jeremy Irons. I went, you know who could have killed this? And he went, don't say Lithgow. And I said, yes. Lithgow, you bastard. And he said he's been plotting the perfect crime ever since. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, humorless, gri- humorless, humorless yeah. angry union crew guys. You know, guys to sit around on the floor cross-legged while you sang a song and an oink, oink, yes, and a bah. Inter- interactive. Browning. Interactive. And you had to get them to go bah, bah. And you did it and seeing it was so funny. and hilarious. You have many gifts, but one is, you know, and it's like the skeleton sketch. You commit 140%. Uh, and you just did it and you didn't wink that it was a joke at all. You sang as if it was to these little children and to see these guys who were 50, 55, 60, you know, who've lived off of deli meat their entire life, every meal, (laughs) sitting cross-legged on the floor and you going, you know, and a peep, peep, peer, and a bah, bah, there. And and they did it. And and the camera would do these beautiful pans. Yeah, and we actually got them a little bit of a response from them. Oh, they (laughs) love I think for the first, I think they found their humanity. (laughs) (laughs) But- I tapped into their childhood It was, it was a testament to you that you would, no question at all. Oh, you know, just yes, yeah. yes, and well, I you said yes. I I would say yes as soon as the phone rang when I when I heard you were requesting. <laughs> do, do you remember your talent show? Your yes. Cre- oh my God, that was one of my favorites. Go ahead. Should you describe that? You or describe. You're so much better than me. Well, <laughs> <laughs> no, it was just wonderful. They had a talent show of the crew of mm-hmm. your staff and mm-hmm. crew. I guess it was your staff. Right. Uh, it was everyone. It, it was, was everybody. Everyone. And, yeah. and they had all sorts of- very- Interns and producers yeah. and the makeup person. Yeah. And, yeah. and I don't know whether this was a running thing or not, but uh, it was on one evening and they had different uh, hapless little talent mm-hmm. talents that they uh, put on display. But the last one was a magic show trick. <laughs> <laughs> they had this huge box- uh, they could take a member of the audience out of the box, put him in there and say some magic words or something, mm-hmm. and open the door, and out would come a celebrity. <laughs> <laughs> and they, call, they called me in to be the celebrity right. for this piece of business. And they, right. and they got some guy out in the, from the audience. I suppose it was one of your comedy writers, mm-hmm. but nobody knew Yeah, that. no, we always, we always, yeah, <laughs> use plants. Yeah. yeah, and so they yanked him out of the office. It put him in there and spoke the magic words, and out I came mm-hmm. 
incredibly disappointed that, <laughs> that they said, oh, great, now I'm John Lithgow. I, 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 and, yeah, you were not happy about being John Lithgow. Yeah. I, even, I even mispronounced my name. Yes, I, I know. That's, how, that's how committed I was. You didn't say Lithgow. You said, oh, now I'm John Lithgow. <laughs> and I went and sat back in his seat and just with a terrible, grumpy look on my face for the rest of the show. That's great. You know what's interesting? I was thinking about it today uh, on the way to talk to you, and I was really happy to talk to you, but you play everything. You play people who I think are closer to who you really are, but you can also be Winston Churchill, but you can also be a serial killer, you know, uh, just a truly cruel uh, serial killer on, on Dexter. And I look at the whole thing and I think I never, I don't know where this comes from. I know that you had a Shakespearean training uh, when you were very young, and I'm thinking this ability to play anything, you know, you've, you're, you can't be typecast. You're, well, I don't know whether it's an ability as much as just a, a readiness. And mm -hmm. uh, it's just what you described about saying yes all the time. You call and I say yes, because I know something interesting is going to happen. That's kind of been the nature of my career. I, I do think it, it comes from growing up in a theater family. And that theater was Shakespeare, mm -hmm. my father producing Shakespeare festivals in Ohio, uh, this curious kind of hybrid English and American uh, theater upbringing. When you think about Shakespeare and Shakespeare's plays and how he wrote them, he wrote them for a theater company, the same actors. And he wrote all kinds of plays and all kinds of parts. And you almost got get the feeling that almost like the SNL troupe, giving them something completely different this time out. Right. And then putting it into the repertory so that it's what they did, a different play, a different part, and as different as possible every night of the week. And I grew up doing that as a kid. Uh, I was always a bit part player starting from the age of seven, when I played little kids in Shakespeare plays, right up until my late teens, when I was like an apprentice member of the company, playing all the bit parts in Shakespeare. Uh, Nim, Poins, Pinch, Froth, all these one-syllable <laughs> character parts. Uh, and I ever, never did get any any higher than Guildenstern and Benvolio. And, right. uh, I, I never played a major Shakespearean role until I got to college. But I had been in 20 Shakespeare plays and seven per summer in repertory. So ex an extremely different every night and different makeups. Back in those days, makeup was like kabuki, putty noses and crepe hair eyebrows, false beards and uh, even gluing uh, hemp rope to your sideburns. You know, just uh, – That's the th – it's so funny that you bring all that up because – that's the show business I always wanted to be in. And in a way, I mean, I started out in this very antiseptic kind of, you go into that room and write up some sketches. This was long before I got to SNL and then submit them. And then maybe months from now, you'll see it on HBO or you won't, but you'll have nothing to do with what happens in between. Mm -hmm. And then finding my way to start out live and seeing a donkey backstage and <laughs> yes, right. someone dressed as a chorus girl and, you know, Keith Richards, the real Keith Richards getting coffee and <laughs> yes. uh, t trying to talk to the donkey thinking it was a person and <laughs> thinking like, this is what I wanted. Uh -huh. I want to hear people tuning instruments. I want to hear. And what you're describing is backstage costumes, mm -hmm. the audience is filing in the nerves. Yeah. The, there's an animal in act, you know, in, in the th in the third act that just got loose backstage. Yeah, that's the kind of show business that's been around for all of humanity that I really love. I love that. Yeah, and and it feels to me like that's still with you. Yeah, and and the more you can be a part of the process, the better. You know, third rock from the sun mm -hmm. was that way. Mm -hmm. We we went roaring from one crazy idea to another uh, uh, all year long. And you were there with the writers constantly, working with them. And some of the most exhilarating moments were intractable problems where you couldn't find the funny. Uh, sometimes you would discard the script altogether and turn it into a an extended three-minute-long silent bit of business right. that killed. 
and and got you got to put it in front of an audience two or three days later. It's like the process. You're so right. I, I, that's that's the most exhilarating part of it. I love rehearsals. Uh, I love uh, I love the first pass and then trying something different on the second pass yep. of every scene, which is what we did all the time on Third Rock. It, 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 we just had this wonderful Third Rock reunion a couple of nights ago. That's right. Sona uh, was was following us. She said it was everywhere. It was everywhere. Oh, and I'm a big just, fan of Third Rock oh, from the sun. So, so I was so excited to see the four of you together again. Yeah, well, for us, it was the four, first time we'd been together in the same room since final episode of Third Rock, like 19 years ago. Wow. But, you know, I, I told the story on that occasion. Uh, I had never imagined myself doing a sitcom because it seemed so much the same thing year mm -hmm. after year. Right. And gradually jumping the shark and basically tapping out. And they presented me Bonnie and Terry. It all started with Saturday Night Ooh, I, Live. I worked with Bonnie and Terry Turner. They were a, a comedy writing team at Saturday Night Live. Yeah. And we were of the same vintage. So they presented me with this premise of this alien trying to figure out how in the world to be human and trying everything so that you ended up speaking in accents and singing Cole Porter right. and dancing like Fred Astaire. Uh, you know, it, all of it haplessly and, uh, and cluelessly and making comedy out of that. And I just went for that in like five minutes after they pitched it to me. And, and truly, it was the last rule I'd ever made for myself. Don't don't get locked into a sitcom. Don't get right. locked into episodic TV. Boom, well, just blew, I think we've blown, all, out, blown out the window. We've all learned the big rule is have your rules. And I've had plenty of rules in my career. And then be prepared to throw them out. Yeah. If it's for the right reason. You oh. know, when, when they approached me and said, would you want to do a podcast? I thought, well, I have a TV show. And um, what would I... Is, does anyone want to? And then I found, oh, wait a minute. I'm talking to people like you for 45 minutes. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and it's a whole. Yeah. I, always, I often leave this podcast feeling like if there were any disease in my body, it's gone now because I've just had this great <laughs> mind meld with a musician or a statesman yeah. or someone like yourself. And I just feel better. It's incredible to have the flexibility to work in all sorts of places, whether it's taking video calls from the park or emailing large files while you're grocery shopping. Sona, this is good for you. Is it? Because you're always doing whatever work you do for me from fun locations. But I like blaming it on not having reception. I know, but you can't do that here. Working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network, which is why you should check out T-Mobile, Sona. Okay. Then you got no excuses. They're America's largest and fastest 5G network. With T-Mobile, you'll be covered in more places with the 5G speed you need for your life on the go. Plus, they also cover more highway miles with 5G than anybody else. Check it out if you don't believe me. Hey, Blay, you've got T-Mobile, right? I do. I was actually just up in the woods in Idlewild. It was fantastic for the weekend. And uh, my T-Mobile didn't miss it. My T-Mobile phone didn't miss it. You know, beat. I wouldn't think you'd need a cell phone because you speak so loudly into a microphone. <laughs> well, I had to look some stuff up. Just take Sorry. it. Just take it down. I notch. didn't know what brunch was. I can hear him. When the restaurant's open for brunch. Okay. Uh, so I used uh, my T-Mobile coverage to check out brunch. Way. That's all right. Anyway, wherever you are, you know, take it from the loudspeaking Blay. If you're on the go, you want to be in the know, you want to make the show. What? Uh, T-Mobile. Okay. That's the one for you. That was I should weird. have rhymed it with go. Anyway, yeah. find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. Fastest based on median overall combined 5G speeds according to analysis by Ookla of Speed Test Intelligence Data Q3 2023. C5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. in today, Sona, I was thinking about just how much has changed over the years. Yeah. You know, when I was a kid, we were all dancing the Jitterbug and the Watusi. Okay. And then you grow up now and there's mosh pits and everything's gone <laughs> cuckoo. There's this new thing called rap. I don't know what's <laughs> happening anymore. But guess what? In a world full of change, there's one thing that hasn't changed. Mm -hmm. The great taste of Miller Lite. Are you with me on oh, this? Oh, yeah, I'm right there with you. Yeah, and you know another thing that hasn't changed is that it's less 
filling. Yeah. I hate a filling beer. When I have a filling beer, I just want to sit down in a beanbag chair for six days, but not with Miller Lite. So what's the best thing about the original light beer? Mm -hmm. Back in 1975, the big debate in America was what's more important, that it's less filling Miller Lite or it tastes great. Yeah. The cool thing is when we all realized it's both. Okay. It's less filling and it tastes great. All right, everybody wins. Everybody wins. Miller Lite keeps it simple. Undebatable quality, great taste, only 96 calories. You don't have to choose what's best. Miller Lite has great taste and it's less filling. Tastes like Miller time. To get Miller Lite delivered right to your door, visit MillerLite.com slash Conan. Or you can find it pretty much anywhere that sells beer. Yeah. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories per 12 ounces. Fewer cows and carbs than premium regular beer. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all sometimes have issues or things we need to talk about, get off our chest. I have that all the time. Don't you, Sona? I do. Yeah, and we need people to talk to. And we carry around different stressors. We carry big stressors. We carry small stressors. Uh, I was raised in a culture where you're supposed to kind of bottle it up, and I've learned over time that that's not the best thing to do. If you do let things rattle around in there for a while without talking it out, it can affect your life very negatively. Well, therapy is a safe space where you can get things off your chest, figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. BetterHelp's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. A lot of people have a barrier towards getting therapy because they think, well, I don't know, I've got to find the person, talk to them. What if I? it's not a good match? I, then it's awkward. None of that. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and then you switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Conan today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash Conan. Well, we have a lot in common. You know, we're both quite tall. Yes. Um, I believe you are taller than me, but- uh, I don't think so. You don't think so? I'm about 6'4". I'm exactly 6'4". Okay. So we're about the same, I think. And uh, I don't know if you were happy about that. Someone told me that you used to be a cab driver- (laughs) <laughs> for a while. Yes. This is three years ago. When yeah. you had it. <laughs> the third rock money ran out and yeah. I remembered I, I hailed a cab and- It was me. It was very embarrassing uh, for you, I think. Uh, but, um, and, and that your main complaint about being a cab driver was that you're the wrong height. Yeah, too tall. You, you don't see tall cab drivers because they give all the leg room to the passengers in the back. Oh. Yeah. And not much at that. You're sort of stuck in this sort of frog leg position. I was practically crippled by the the few very few times I I I drove a cab in in New York. You'll also find that you and I will never be fighter jet pilots. <laughs> right, <laughs> I, I did a USO tour and uh, got to actually uh, land on an aircraft carrier and got off and enter, tried to enter, my best to entertain everybody on board. And you couldn't walk. <laughs> and then they uh, no, I was they they flew me in on a, a larger plane, but then they said we got to show you the the really cool up-to-date fighter planes and they opened the cockpits for me and I looked at them and I was like, looked at the pilots who were all there to show me and they were all about five, six. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, they looked at me and I, cause I was kind of interested in getting into the cockpit and they were like, yeah, it's never going to happen. I looked at this space that they sit in and it's- so you so, never got to go up? In, oh, in the I, no, I couldn't fit. I, oh I, I couldn't begin to fit. I think you they see. would have had to have hack off. Yes. A procre- uh, you needed a procrustean bench. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, of course, know the procrustus reference. Colin. Sure I do. Because you and I also went to Harvard. That's true. That's true. <laughs> yes, and, the, yeah. the source of all our arrogance and our, all our embarrassment. Well, I find, I, yeah. <laughs> if you're anything like me, it's been nothing but a- uh, constant source of humiliation yes, because right. you go to Harvard and it, people, I never bring it up, but mm-hmm. of course, then it gets in your bio. I got to go back to Harvard and give a speech 
And a chunk of the speech was just how much it's plagued my life. Because if you do anything slightly stupid, and I do lots of stupid stuff, <laughs> but you know what I mean? When I microwave, when I put a, a giant thing of tinfoil into the microwave, <laughs> because I forget and uh, something explodes, it's always, so, Harvard guy. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> and I'm like, well, I never said I was that smart. I think you know, I just looked good in a blazer. Do you, you know? know, I read that speech. I, tra I read a transcript of that speech and you articulated that phenomenon <laughs> better than anybody I've ever heard. Cause it is so true. It's, it's yeah. I mean, just think of of auditioning yeah. as an unemployed actor in New York. It is your darkest secret. You don't tell anyone. Oh, sure. Because God forbid you should be better educated than the person who is uh, who can either hire or not hire you. Also, there was the assumption for a long time that if you had gone to that school, you were extremely wealthy. You know, <laughs> like Thurston right. Howell III on, on Gilligan's Island. And, <laughs> right. and so there was this like, whenever you were found doing, taking some lower job, yeah. people would be like, well, what happened? Potter, <laughs> your father, right. you know, can't you send the chauffeur over to help? And you're like, no, 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 my dad, my dad's in academic medicine. There's no, he drives a really shitty station wagon. No, oh, I'm sure he does. Why doesn't the manservant come over and help you? No, I think it's, uh, but it's probably what has motivated us in all sorts of ways to be kind of defiantly uh, obtuse and you know yeah 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 you know, it's 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 very interesting how this this platoon of Harvard comedy writers yeah. has sort of entered the business and, I know. and all of them deny their uh, their heritage their Harvard back back well you know what's interesting is that I've had uh, at one point I mean there have been times where I've sort of heard people being disapproving of well, all these people went to Harvard and got this amazing education and then they, they become comedy writers. And I mean, they could have been out curing cancer. Or, and I'm always very quick to point out, I knew all these people on the Lampoon that mm -hmm. wrote comedy. None of them could have cured cancer. <laughs> right. None of them could have invented a way to get energy from the sun. Yeah. I know these people. This is the, really the best and yeah. least harmful way for them to be of service, <laughs> myself included. <Right>. Like, <laughs> but they've also sort of put their stamp on our comedy culture. Yeah, very distinctively. Uh, you know, the the Letterman Show. And, oh yeah, and The Simpsons. And yes, all, yeah. all variety and and SNL. Yeah, it's somehow connected with this curious combination of arrogance and self contempt. Yeah, you yeah. Know, and embarrassment. I but, think you've, yeah, there is something there. I, but I, mean, I think for that, anything it, good to come out of anybody, there has to be a lot of strong opposing forces, yeah. you know, which is I'm desperately afraid to perform, but oh my God, I've got to perform. Yeah. I'm desperately afraid to assert myself, but I must assert myself. I hate myself, but I'd love to see my picture everywhere. <laughs> That's right, exactly. <laughs> I don't know what that is. Well, but it's 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 certainly got so much to do with comedy. I yeah. mean, hear John Cleese talk about it, you know, about yeah. how he writes about the terrible embarrassment that every Englishman lives with. Repression is one word for it. Another is just social fear. Mm -hmm. And what a relief to have your words written for you and to have someone else decide what's funny about you mm -hmm. and just hurl yourself out there and realize, I'm great at this. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, you often make the mistake of shouting that uh, <laughs> while you're on stage <laughs> and in several episodes of Third Rock. Uh, That's right. Well, it's, oh it my it, God, I'm gorgeous. <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was my catchphrase. <laughs> you know, uh, you mentioned John Cleese and I thought that was really interesting because uh, I've talked to him and I've I've read his writings about comedy and you guys are synonymous in some ways. Mm -hmm. You're uh, and I and I've I've heard, I don't know if it's true, that you get mistaken for John Cleese sometimes when oh, you're yes. traveling around the world in yeah. Europe. Yes, absolutely. They, they I I wish I had a nickel for every time someone praised me for my performance in a fish called Wanda. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, it's like, uh, I get that, but people think I'm Jamie Lee Curtis. <laughs> <laughs> no, but he, the, the glorious moment was when he came and appeared on Third Rock. Yeah. And he was my rival from, I, I didn't realize until the end of his first episode with us that he was an alien. Yes. <laughs> and, and there's the classic mo uh, scene where we're playing golf together. 
uh, where he takes out an air horn and <laughs> blows it on my backswing. You know, <laughs> and, and, How great to get to, I mean, oh, that's, but you know, the thing is he's also, three of us are probably all about the same height. John Cleese may actually be the tallest. I'm not sure, but he's quite tall. And I think it's embracing tall people often are kind of, we're almost a little embarrassed about it. And um, I was always, when I was a kid, and a teenager and a young man, I've got, you know, very long limbs and I'm tall and I was super skinny and I fled from that and then realized you can get laughs with this. Mm -hmm. And if you think about Dick Van Dyke or you or John Cleese or, or Jacques Tati. Yeah, Jacques Tati or myself, like we love to we love to use our bodies mm -hmm. in these absurd ways. And a tall man acting like a fool is yeah. Funnier. Oh, God. I don't know why it is, but it is. There was a glorious moment uh, in an episode that featured Elaine Stritch and George Grizzard as Jane Curtin's parents, which uh -huh. of course evolves into a parody of Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? <laughs> <laughs> and we all ended up in a hot tub. And I'm so appalled by their terrible behavior, their awful insults and their arguments. And I finally stand up to my full height in a tiny little bright orange <laughs> speedo and i say have you no shame <laughs> you know i was curious about something which is uh your ability which can, which really interests me i i've never worked in film no one wants me to work in film and i never <laughs> will work in film but uh as a real actor uh i've noticed that you have the ability because everyone is always explaining to me that television is very different from film. And I've seen you work in both mediums and, and kill it. And I've seen you be able to, you know, be on a show like Third Rock from the Sun where there's no such thing as too big mm -hmm. because that's really the gig and, and, and play different comedy roles like that. And then I see you uh, in The Crown playing Winston Churchill going into it knowing, well, how can John Lithgow play Winston Churchill when Winston Churchill's famously about, I don't know, 5'8", and you're 6'4", and I watched it, you were Winston Churchill. I mean, you became Winston Churchill and I completely was down from the first second. I don't understand that ability you have to have both focal lengths. The well, big, 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 and then the small, small, small. Clearly, you missed Ant-Man. <laughs> <laughs> no, I did not. Uh, no. Well, you know, I was concerned about that myself, and I, I told uh, Stephen Daldry, like, during the rehearsal period, are we doing anything about my height? He says, no, nothing. Yeah. Don't worry. You don't even think about that. Uh, and, of course, it was perfectly obvious to a director, there are plenty of ways of right. making people forget about height right. with movies. As a matter of fact, just about everybody, when they meet me for the first time, says, I didn't realize oh, you were so tall. That's all I get. Yeah. Uh, of course. You just don't think about it. I mean, people say, when they say that about me being so tall and what a surprise, I wonder, why didn't they notice yeah. that Jane Curtin only comes up to my elbow? You know, right. But uh, they're looking at other things, I guess. TV shrinks you. You've got to fit into that box. And yeah. so you've been with me, Sona. That's all. That's all people say. Also, I think that most male celebrities tend to be shorter than they mm -hmm. appear on television. And I don't know if that's because they do things to make it's, them look taller, but. No, it's the rare thing. Like you, me, Jeff Goldblum. Yeah. There's a list yeah. of a couple, and then everyone else, and I mean, everyone listening should take this as gospel. Everyone else <laughs> is five feet, three inches tall. <laughs> you know, I'm and, always uh, so startled by photographs of play of the curtain calls of plays I'm in, where I'm a full head taller than yeah. the next tallest person. Right. Because I don't think of myself that way. I don't think, just this morning, I, I was working, walking through a parking garage and I walked underneath a sort of low hanging mm -hmm. sign. Yeah. And then I walked past it and I looked back at that sign and I thought, my God, I'm tall. It's like, yeah. it's like you just, you, you're just, you just forget that. Forget, yeah. <laughs> and I, and, and I think maybe that's, surely that's what you're talking about when you talk about tall comedians. Yeah. Is there is this funny cognitive dissonance. Oh, I forget. And I often play, my favorite uh, comedic archetype to play is the the this the frightened kind of a la Bob Hope or or yeah. 
early Woody Allen, the frightened back on my heels guy who's intimidated by everything around me. And then I'll be playing that in a, a sketch. Yeah. I'll be playing that in some improvised interview and then realize that, you know, three feet taller than this person and outweigh them by about 150 pounds. And I'm going, I'm so sorry to, <laughs> yeah. to bother. I hope, please, not with the hitting, you yes, know, and right. people watching it are like, <laughs> yeah, right. why doesn't he just breathe on the guy? And he'll a, great, down. a great asset. I very much want to talk about, you have, you have brought your latest book. Aha. Uh-huh. And um, I wanted to make sure I got my time to fully express what an amazing person you are. Uh, but that, I think, mission accomplished. And, and that's that's me that brought that out of you. Uh, and so you owe me completely. For, <laughs> you've never been charming on your own, but it wasn't until I uh, breathed life you onto you. winkled it out. Yeah. Um, you came out and you've, you've talked about these on my show with uh, these New York Times bestsellers, Dumpty and Trumpty Dumpty Wanted a Crown. These And, and what I love about these books is that there's, clearly been a lot of Trump stirs up high passions on both sides. And you have written these books about Trump and clearly he's not your favorite politician of all time, <laughs> but you'd use a lot of humor and wit to get your point across. Mm-hmm. And uh, what I really love is that you you do these illustrations, which are terrific. I mean, you're, you're profoundly talented in many ways, but these, these drawings are... Th- this is who you would hire. If someone else wrote these, they would try and find someone who could draw these caricatures because they're really brilliant. Why, thank you, Colin. And <laughs> the latest book speaks to me. I know it sounds crazy, but if you want to feel better about where we are now, <laughs> I, I suggest you check out John Lithgow's A Confederacy of Dumpties because in a strange way, it's, it, it reminds you that, yeah, it's bad right now. But uh, do you want to check out some of these other people that we <laughs> yes, right. encountered? Uh, did you remember? You, you know, you've put your your hit the nail on the head in many ways, Conan. I wrote the first two of this trilogy, Dumpty and Dumpty Dum- Trumpty Dumpty Wanted a Crown, and they were kind of shooting fish in a bucket. Yep. Uh, satire going after the crazy cast of characters that Trump hired, mm-hmm. surrounded him with, and then gradually, one by one, he turned on all of them, <laughs> insulted them, shat on them, fired them, and yeah, you know, I was beating a lot of dead horses. A lot, a lot of them were gone by the time my books came out. Mm-hmm. It, uh, That's right. He would fire them, or they would leave. Yeah. Before you could get the books That's out. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I mean, there was a sort of point to all that. Right. It, it was easy satire. I was so tired of dumping on the man and all of the horrible people that he right. hired. I'd done my job. He was voted out of office. I was entirely responsible for that. <laughs> oh, and you, I think you get, so, you're widely credited with that. And, uh, but this was a way of saying, just as you say, you think this was bad? Just have a look at these guys. You know, there's one that really echoes in the Times now where we, we all know that statues are coming down left and right, mm-hmm. and especially in, in statues of Confederate greats. Someone I did know about, because I, I studied uh, the Civil War, and I did know about this Confederate General Nathan Bedford Forrest, and you know he's the first Grand Wizard of the KKK. Uh, his his troops massacred uh, more than three hundred Union soldiers, most of them black. I mean, he was just this, you know, incredibly uh, horrific character. And there were statues to Nathan Bedford yeah. Forrest. And I don't know. I, I would prefer. I'll, I'm happy to read it if you're not prepared to read it. But we have just a little clip here, and it's just so good. Uh-huh. Uh His statues and his monuments are disappearing fast. A stern reminder to us all that glory doesn't last. It's echoed in our recent days, despite what winning gives us. Former presidents take note. Infamy outlives us. That's fantastic. You know, it, it, and it, I lo- and you know what I love about that one. I mean, self-interest drives a lot of the worst crimes, and I'm not just talking about politicians. I see it in the media too. And I see it on the left and I see it on the right. I I see people that are, as you say, maybe shooting fish in a barrel or saying these egregious things. And for a little more than this works for me now, this is paying the bills now, Mm -hmm. this is going over well with my base, my fans like it, so I'm just going to do it. And people have this shocking disregard for 
how are people going to think about me mm-hmm. when I'm not here? Don't I care about that? Don't I care about what are my grandkids going to say when they know that I blocked this legislation and that legislation and single-handedly yeah. tried to redraw the voting maps to keep certain kinds of people from voting? Am I going to be looked upon kindly later? Why doesn't that matter to people? I know. It's, and the stakes are colossally high when it comes to things like climate change denial right. uh, or, or as you say, suppressing the vote and, and suborning democracy. You know, you talk about Boss Tweed, who was a character I'm sure people have heard of, but uh, he pretty much controlled a large chunk of American politics through New York. And never elected to office. Never elected to office and was a pretty egregious character. And one of the things that really helped bring him down, which I'm sure is near and dear to your heart, is that he was, there's a cartoonist who's very famous, Thomas Nast, who would do these satirical depictions of people in, you know, in the media. And in, back then, all they had was newspapers, but he would put these out there, newspapers and magazines, and people would read them. And it really helped bring down Boss Tweed, if you're up for it. Oh, yes. You're, so, you're such a better reader than uh, I am. So. I, I always say yes, as you know. I know. <laughs> we now introduce the aforesaid cartoonist who brought down the boss like a punctured balloonist. The depictions of Tweed by the great Thomas Nast were scathing, satiric, and destined to last. Nast pictured a slob of Falstaffian bulk, a baleful, beady-eyed, glowering hulk. Tweed frantically raged at his impotent goons. My people can't read, but they see them cartoons. (laughs) (laughs) You also have this great... (laughs) Along those lines, this great line, I'll do it because it's very short. You needn't be kindest or cleanest or purest. Just don't ever rankle a caricaturist. (laughs) Uh, Which, (laughs) remind me to stay on your good side. (laughs) John Lithgow, you are a a treasure. Seriously. And anytime I I encounter you anywhere, I'm immediately, I'll tell you this, I'm immediately happy. You just have that, you're this, you're this big uh, bundle of goodness and you talent, know, I, so I, I'm very just feel, thrilled. I feel exactly the same way about you, Conan. Last time my late eyes on you was the Emmys. That's right, yeah. I saw you uh, about 10 yards away with about 50 people in between us, and we caught each other's eye, and we both went like this. Yeah, yeah, we both put our little fingers together. Right. We're, we're, this is audio, so That's I'll right. act out what you're doing. No, we acted just that little Mr. Ooh, Burns, yeah, finger. Ooh, Ooh, yeah. Yeah. No, there's in. my, I was like, there's my, <laughs> there's that big six foot four toy that I love running into <laughs> who delights me. So, hey, John, I can't thank you enough for coming in and congratulations on your new book. And uh, not saying it's just a great, it's just, you know, it's the holidays. And this is a hilarious, fantastic stocking stuffer, if you ask me. So go out and grab it. And um, I look forward to running into you very soon. Yes, Conan. Now we're old friends. Yes. Yes. <laughs> old friends who are just starting to realize. No, we've always been old friends. Now we're new friends. Now we're new friends. <laughs> yes. Now okay. we're BFF friends. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not get crazy. All right. Thank you very much, John. I knew this would be great. And it was. <laughs> Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend is sponsored by ADT. Now ADT professionally installs Google Nest products so your home is safe and smart. You can check in on your home and manage your security systems from virtually anywhere. Google Nest cams can tell the difference between a person, an animal, a vehicle, or with the Nest doorbell, even a package. You can know that there's a package out there. I know. And not a person. You don't have to do anything. Yeah, sometimes a person rings the doorbell and I think it's a package. Anyway, (laughs) and with Nest Aware as part of your monthly ADT service, you can get 30 days of event video history, even smarter notifications like when a familiar or unfamiliar face is seen. Plus, when every second counts, you can trust ADT's 24-7 professional monitoring. You can view video of an alarm event and verify or cancel an alarm with just a tap. I'm always setting off alarms accidentally. This is helpful for me. Oh, good. When the most trusted name in home security adds the intelligence of Google, well, you got a home with no worries. Go to ADT.com today or call 1-800-ADT-ASAP. Google, Nest Cam, Nest Doorbell, and Nest Aware are trademarks of Google LLC. If most people are being honest, no one really knows what you do for work, right? Yeah, it's true. Yeah, especially if you're in a what I like to call B2B. Oh, you know? what, what is that? I'll explain. Okay. 
That's a business doing business with other businesses. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I call it B2B. It's a little thing. It's also, uh, it's a boy band I'm working on. <laughs> anyway, fortunately, LinkedIn has a network of professionals who get what you do and you can reach the right people who matter most to your company because they're LinkedIn. Yeah. That's what they do. Yeah. LinkedIn has over, this is the fun part to say, one billion members. Are you serious? Yeah, that's not that's more people than are on Earth because there are people on the moon using it and Saturn. <laughs> that's one over one billion members on its platform, including 70 million decision makers. God, I'd like to meet a decision maker. Since LinkedIn <laughs> members are regularly updating their work history, you can precisely build a target audience by job title, industry, company, and more. Man, you can reach the right people for your, I'm gonna say it again, B2B business with LinkedIn ads. Yeah. Gets even better because LinkedIn will give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Hmm. There you go, just go to linkedin.com slash Team Coco to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash Team Coco. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Well, we're all three officially back on the podcast after four or five babies, I forget. Let's do a Yay. state of the podcast and see how things are going. Oh, I wish to say that the state of the podcast is strong. <laughs> I, I'm very happy that we are reunited. Uh, if I watched or paid attention to more Marvel movies, I would know that this is like those gems that are all separated mm. that oh, the yeah. Avengers have to go find. And then they put them together and it's in a glove or something. The Thanos glove? Yeah. What yeah. about the three stones from Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom that have to- No, let's stick uh, with okay. Thanos. Right. We need a- right. we gotta, three of us. Yeah, yeah let's keep Except the young kids interested. I know there's, there's uh, five, anyway. Infinity but, stones. Okay. okay, the infinity right. stones. Yes, and I feel like there were three infinity stones in a podcasting glove that was invincible mm. and, and could really rule the universe. Blay, feel free to jump in if I'm getting anything wrong, because I know that you know this stuff cold. I was just going to say, you mentioned two things that, when put together, uh, are supposed to destroy the universe. So I'm not sure what that's saying. <laughs> ah, well, yeah, that fits. I know, I'm exactly, yeah, yeah that's that exactly what I meant, I, Aaron. I don't see what the conflict is here. <laughs> there was a period where peace and serenity reigned when it was just me. Oh. And uh, everyone, Ugh. man, we saw the comments were through the roof and everyone was like, oh, yay. And then the Infinity Stones of Matt Gorley and Son of Obsession were rejoined and the universe has been destroyed <laughs> as we know it. Uh, and no, it's, it's great. That analogy aside, um, which I apparently, just to make that analogy, I think I now owe Marvel <laughs> $1.4 million yeah, just to make so. the analogy. But I'm really glad to have you guys back. Uh, it's, it's, and, and I know that you came back, Matt, for the, uh, for the live show. That's podcast. right. Yeah. Because so we're not actually the three of us in the same room right now. Sona has me watching her twins right now. <laughs> yeah. Sona doesn't need anyone else watching her twins because unlike you, Matt, uh, Sona has an Armenian family yes. that provides, it's 600 Armenian people providing constant care constant. for those children. Yeah. And anytime I call, I swear to God, she's in a hot tub mm -hmm. and she's, you know- <laughs> Saying, what, what kids? Oh, right. Yeah, those things that my parents and my husband's parents hold on to. And then those other people we know. Yeah, uh, nice. So, so how are you faring, Matt? Because I know that Sona hasn't even seen her children. Mm -hmm. How are you holding up? I'm pretty good. I think um, we're six weeks out now, so things are just starting to find a groove and we're just starting to get a little bit of sleep. I'm not quite there yet. And Amanda was truly incredible. I've never seen anything like it, but we're good. We're very happy. And the little one is, it's life-changing. It's incredible. She's precious. That's yeah. nice. Can I just point out though, that everybody, every guy always says, oh my God, my wife. I am aware of that. And she's I, done such an amazing I job. Because we she's do so a amazing. Lot. We do I, a lot. You know what, what I would say, I'm just going to say, I think my wife could have stepped it up a bit. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> I do. I'm frankly, I do. I, I think I was, I, you know, I'm a tough grader. I'm not one of these, my wife, my wife. I think Liza could have, you know, I think she, a solid C plus. No. Okay. I stick to this because when I was in that delivery room and I always thought I'll kind of be by her head, holding her hand, or at the very least be down at that demilitarized zone halfway point. But the doctor- <laughs> 
put me to work. And I was down yeah, there with, me too. with the me doctor too. holding a leg. And I'll tell you what I saw. I have never been the same kind of person since. Aww, and she was incredible. Thing. No, I'm not saying poor me. Oh, okay. I'm saying I what I saw. I thought you were like, look at how much I did. No, I did speak. nothing. Oh, I'm sorry. I got very, I'm saying I that's, got very I understand yeah, you're that. still talking. That's why I'm saying she truly was incredible because I saw what she went through and it was uh, unbelievable. I, it's so funny you had that reaction. I saw that and I said, well, yeah, it was pretty, that's pretty amazing. Uh, um, but, uh, and then quickly I went back to, you know, I've got to judge you on your performance now in this, in this next hour, you know, and then this next hour after that, you know what I mean? You can only get so much credit. What? For passing a human baby through a very small opening. (laughs) And then I think you got to move on. Uh, 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 Just her dealing with you alone. That that already is like, oh my God. Were you doing bits? bits. Oh, I had such good bits. Oh, Oh, you suck. I would have killed you. I made, I remembered I had the obstetrician just in stitches, literally. And that's no pun or anything. He was just howling. No. Man, I was killing it in that room. High-fiving yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. And then, uh, yeah. And then, yeah, it's no coincidence that my my uh, my daughter's first words when she looked at me were empty shell. <laughs> Your daughter's first words were, and that's time. <laughs> and wrap it up. Wrap it up. No, she looked at me and she pointed and she said, empty shell. <laughs> I was like, no, dada. And she went, nothing inside. <laughs> I said, no, dada, daddy. And she said, more sad than funny. <laughs> And I said, hey, come on, it's Dad D, Dad D. And she said, a hole that can never be filled. I said, you are so eloquent. These are such eloquent first words, but I wish it was just Daddy. Yeah. 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 She hit the nail on the head. Yeah, I guess. She did. She, oh and then she God. said, no amount of therapy will fix this damage. It feels like it goes back millennia. <laughs> I was like, can you just say daddy? To this day, she never has. Yeah. When she was three, she wrote a dissertation, A Crippled Father. Uh, (laughs) The the emotional conundrum that is Conan O'Brien. It was beautifully written and it got printed by the New England Journal of Medicine. Good Good for her. Can we uh, give a special shout out to David Hopping who filled in for me first and then filled in for for Mr. Matt Gorley because he did such a great job. Yes. It's an intimidating space, and he did a fantastic job. And um, he, you know, he covered for me in terms of administrative work for you, and he did such a great job that I told him to just keep going, even Uh, when I got back. Well, I will say, I will say this about David Hopping. Uh, First of all, no learning curve at all. He came in, he hit the mic. And he has his own podcast. Yes, he does. Um, Back to the Best podcast. Can we plug it? Yes, Back to the Best is a podcast that David does that I think uh, goes back to the shows that really influenced him. Curiously, I'm not in there. Oh. Um, But Mm. his, uh, and, and he does this podcast and it's really great. Anyway, he hit the mic. He's very funny. He's very quick witted. He had his own voice. Immediately, I'm like, Sona who? You know what I mean? Wow. Oh. No, I mean, I don't mean in a bad way. I mean in a way that's bad for you, oh. but in a way that's good for David and for me. Huh. And so uh, David, you know, David, uh, we're going to keep him around. He'll jump in every now and yes. then because he's uh, he's such a funny presence and did such a good job. So my thanks to David Hopping also as an assistant killer. Okay. I mean, I go places and I look down at my phone All and right. when I'm supposed to be at the airport, it says, this is the name of your flight. This is what gate you're supposed to go to. And I said, how could this be on my phone? Sona never put this on my phone. Yeah. She'd always wait till I called her from the airport and said, hey, what flight am I? And she'd be like, ah, rich host doesn't know how to find his flight or gate. Well, David did none of that. So thank you, David. Breathing for being, exercises help me. We should also thank deal. Brett for uh, the stand-in production and editing. Brett Morris. Brett did an yeah. amazing job. Yeah. Um, He's the best. Again, Brett, thank you for everything that you did while you you stepped out and seamlessly, as though Matt had never been here. Mm. Incredible. Mm-hmm. The way- I wouldn't go that far, but that, yeah. I, see, I, mean, he is good. I guess this was supposed to have a different tone. Yeah. I'm turning this into a- Yeah, we're back. Wow, I didn't miss you guys. Don't um, you have to go on paternity leave yeah, soon or something? Yeah. Maybe you should also take some time off. Yeah. I want to spend, I want to take time off to hang out with your with your twins. <laughs> yeah, Because <laughs> out with them. Those kids look like they have a good sense of humor and I get yeah. some good chuckles. Because uh, <laughs> you want to you hang out with them because you want the audience that'll laugh. Yes. Okay. He's going to just feed I them do. gassy food. 
food so they get gassy and smile and laugh and he'll just sit there and do bits and they don't even know what it is. Hey, if that worked for audiences, I'd have all audiences they were loading into a show fed a giant can of beans. Uh, unbaked beans so that they have extra gas. Um, no, I, uh, on a sincere note, and I am capable of it, uh, Matt Corley, great to have you back. Good Seriously, to be back. It's you're, good you're to see terrific you guys. at what you do. I'm lucky to have you. Sona, you know I love you despite yes. all the stuff we do on the air. Jokes about the schedule, which- Well, that wasn't a joke. And That's they do it really off the air too. It's not just yeah, on yeah, terrible. Air, so. Really not a good assistant, yeah. but a good person oh. who I care for. Okay. Um, I know you. you'd take a bullet from me. Well, you'd forget to. Yeah. Well, she'd shoot the bullet. Uh, I would. She'd yes. shoot the bullet. She'd take a bullet <laughs> out would, of a pocket, put, a put it in a gun. <laughs> I'd put a bullseye on him. She would accept, she'd take a bullet from someone else, yeah. put yeah. it in a gun and shoot me. So yes, you would take a bullet for me. And then uh, David Hopping, our thanks to you and Brad. And, you know, just thanks to everybody yeah. for all you do. Jeez, when do I get some thanks around here? Thanks, Dad. Taking the wind out of it. <laughs> <laughs> just ruining it. I give and I take away. Really, no one does it better than you. Yep, that's true. What were we talking about? <laughs> about complimenting and at the same time just oh. deflating it at the same time. I thought time. you meant comedic artistry and elevating humanity. No. Yeah, no. no. And elevating humanity. Yep. Uh, Thank you, Sona. Well, you heard it from geez. her. That's all the time for now. Gotta uh, run. Yeah, let's wrap it up because that'll make it true. <laughs> <sighs> I hate it. We're so back. Crazy. Yeah. Conan O'Brien needs a friend. With Conan O'Brien, Sona Movsesian, and Matt Gorley. Produced by me, Matt Gorley. Executive produced by Adam Sachs, Joanna Solitaroff, and Jeff Ross at Team Coco, and Colin Anderson and Cody Fisher at Earwolf. Theme song by The White Stripes. Incidental music by Jimmy Vivino. Take it away, Jimmy. Our supervising producer is Aaron Blair, and our associate talent producer is Jennifer Samples. Engineering by Will Beckton. Talent Booking by Paula Davis, Gina Batista, and Britt Kahn. You can rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts, and you might find your review read on a future episode. Got a question for Conan? Call the Team Coco hotline at 323-451-2821 and leave a message. It, too, could be featured on a future episode. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded. has been a Team Coco production in association with Earwolf. Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney Presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific Time, only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.